0: Welcome to the Run Beyond podcast uh, with Jason Brooks, myself, and the legendary Buzz Burrell. I'm uh, this guy is a legend to me. He's a legend to the sport. He's a legend to adventure, in my opinion, and I think many opinions of uh, people that that uh, know what is a legend in mountain and ultra and canyoneering and adventure kind of stuff. Um, I met Buzz almost uh, 13, 14 years ago when I lived in Boulder as a new and young roadie that was transitioning over to Ultra. And Buzz has worked for Ultimate Direction as brand president. Uh, He now has been working with, for quite a while, with Peter Bachwin, the fastest known time concept. And then having a a place to document, record, discuss, and kind of be a benchmark even now to how fastest known times, FKTs, work in the world. Uh, Buzz is also a man of many adventures, Uh, I know that he's done some crazy stuff in canyon country specifically that comes to mind, doing things like crossing the Colorado River in, in freezing cold temperatures, and then going and rappelling down slot canyons, coming back out, drinking out of potholes, Doing all this kind of crazy stuff, and, and to include even you know mountain stuff like in in Argentina, I think one of the first time one, one of the first conversations that was like really meaningful for me was uh, kind of a sponsorship conversation. Me and my buddies wanted to run across the Dolomites, and I asked for some packs, and he's like, "Yes, go ahead. Here's three, and you can have extras if you'd like." And uh, that was back when I had no reputation and no uh, professional level kind of experience. So that was kind of one of the first first Buzz experiences for me. Then, then it moved into, you know, working with Buzz and, and doing some things in Patagonia where he owned a FK, FKT in Torres del Paine going uh, 120K or like 70 some miles around the, this national park down in uh, Peru. He had the FKT at one point. And uh, me and my buddy went down there and, and made an attempt at breaking that FKT. So, Buzz is here. He's awesome and fun, and we're, we're excited to to pick your brain and ask you some some questions about what you've experienced in these you know decades of being in adventure running, canyoneering fun sports stuff so thank you for joining us buzz it's a it's an honor to have you on our podcast man
1: wow gee it takes my breath away i'm kind of speechless i, I don't know <laughs> what to say now jason who is this guy yeah. uh, i guess we may find out here in the next hour but it's true jason you and i've known each other a long time and so that's really fun we can hit the ground running we can get into the good stuff rather than beating around the bush with yeah, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we can kind of hit it right so let's have a good conversation let's talk about the real things
0: yeah, it sounds good, man. So, yeah, like what? Uh, how, how did you get started? What, what, where did you come from, Buzz? How how did you get into adventure seeking like this? Uh, like what 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 motivated that? How did that come to to fruition? And and when when did that happen? Wh- which decade did that happen, Buzz?
1: Well, I sat next to Jesus in the third grade, so I go pretty far back. I'd put that back, uh, you know, a little more than thank you, thank you, appreciate. It, it took you a couple seconds there, but uh, you you got with it. So I'm you start doing things before all my friends were born, and that would put me back in the late '60s. I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and I just started going out for runs, and I just liked being outside. That was what it was. I ran track and cross country in high school, but right out of the gate, I was kind of one of those slow guys, just didn't have much leg speed, which still irritates me. You know, basically, Jason, if I could dunk a basketball, I never would have started running. You know, if you if you can dunk, why ever do this sport, right? But I couldn't, so I ran. And right out of the gate, I just kind of like being outside, like being out in nature. And if I'd see something, oh, what's over there? I'd be, see this little track in the woods, I'd just turn right. You know what I mean? So it was kind of like going outside to play and i can summarize this really easily by saying that's what i still do <laughs> i mean like you said we have fastest known time.com we keep track of this there's all about the number I used to run ultimate direction where we just you know go out and sweat it out to design the absolute best hydration packs there was and so in the level of detail and objectiveness i can certainly do that but fundamentally i like to go outside and play and i'm still doing it
0: awesome awesome you, you know I- how, how about this buzz? You know, like I came from a burnout in, in soccer, you know, that, that was, that was going to be my path, you know, get scholarships and and do that in college. And, and I, I switched to running, which was kind of the geek sport and kind of the, the skinny white little guys that, uh, you know, go out there that, that weren't so popular, but, you know, then I, you know, had that exposure to, you know, this trail running thing. And, and, and for me being kind of an a little bit, you know, you know, some ego and some competition kind of uh, motivations. I did not, you know, go to the trail running side, because it was like, there's a whole bunch of really old dudes that, that go out there and like, jog around and power hike, you know, like, at that time, I was like, power, hike that's not running, that's, that's lame. And, and, and also, you know, I just felt like there wasn't that level of competition. And I kind of wanted, you know, get Olympic trial qualifier kind of stuff. And, you know, then came Jeff Rose and Dave Mackey and, and, you know, Tony and, you know, they, you know, kind of started to bring, and, and Scott Jurek, you know, going back farther, you know, there there's guys in California in the eighties too, that were doing amazing stuff, but I didn't know about them. Those were the kind of forefathers that I just mentioned that kind of inspired me to be like, Hey, there, here's a place I love to adventure. I love to go in the mountains. I went to college in Bozeman, but now the sport is like competitive and I wanted that aspect. How do you see our sport as, you know, the evolution of, of you know, let's say, you know, pre-80s to, 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 to Tony era to now Walmsley era and and how that's going and, and where it's going in the future? Like, do you, are, are you comfortable with that? What do you think of it? It, does it make you smile? Do you think we're doing a good job of, a, as a culture? Just trying to open up the floor to like, how, how you, as, as one of the forefathers, uh, think about that. Right.
1: Thanks, Jason. I indeed have seen a few things, seen a few evolutions and seen a few phases and trends, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and what comes out of all this is, hopefully I'm not being too boring here, but I think this is a lot of validity. It's a big tent, that's, that's, really, that's really all I got to say. We live in a big tent. Everyone's welcome. And we can kind of sweat out the details. And at my perspective, and I appreciate you, you know, giving, honoring me by asking for my perspective from looking at this for the past 50 years, over 50 years, literally. I mean, I did my first altar before Scott Jurek was born, literally. Etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I was the first person to sponsor Anton Krupicka, et cetera, etc., etc. And now it's like, it's all fine. <laughs> I mean, sorry. I mean, you get people on social media saying, oh, we're professionalism is ruining the sport, or this is that, this is that. It's like, no, not really. We're going to continue to grow, we're going to evolve. And here's the crux of the matter running is believing. That's it, that's all that's happening. And anyone can do that, right? And I think our current evolution now is that people who aren't skinny little white people are doing it. It's like, yeah, you don't have to be skinny and you don't have to be white. You don't have to be a man. And it's like, yeah, because all you have to do is believe. And that's what humans always do. It's human nature. So I kind of like to take it back to are we fulfilling our true human natures here, which is to believe in something and to move our body. And I am going to add a third thing here, a little editorial, and to be nice to each other and respect each other. And if you're doing that, it's all good. <laughs> it's like, it's fine. <laughs> and I think uh, I'll, I'll keep going if you want. Uh, I'll, I'll go through a little bit, of, a few phases here, where it's I like what you Your own personal introduction, you're looking around saying, oh, man, it's a bunch of skinny white guys who are kind of out there jogging or hiking. I don't want to do that. I appreciate that because, of course, you were describing me (laughs) and you were a competitive guy. You were a good runner. You didn't want to do that. So I, I think that's great. That's terrific, and the sport did open up, and I think Scott Jurek was the first professional ultra runner who actually made a living. Other people got free shoes and so forth, but Scott is a milestone in the sport that should be recognized. Of course, no one is ever going to win states. Western states 107 times in a row ain't going to ever happen again. Probably, He's probably the best male ultra runner, U.S. ultra runner in history, I would say, In my opinion, Scott Jurek is not the best U.S. ultra runner. That would go to Ann Trayson, but the best male U.S. ultra runner. And so he opened the door. And after that, all sorts of people like Jeff Rose can come in, right? Everyone else can Mm -hmm. come in. They can get some money. They can support themselves. And you could say part two of that, I think Anton Kropitschka. He's another milestone. Here's a guy. We used to have made a joke. (laughs) Oh, there goes an Antwin. We'd call them Twins because, mm-hmm. you know, they're wearing no shirt. They got long, uncombed brown hair, you know, maybe a couple of little minor pieces of jewelry. It's like, wow. Was that someone to say, I just saw Tony. Is that, no, actually you didn't see Tony. You saw an Twin. So he, you know, he was a really good athlete, but he had style and it's sorry. He has style and yeah. let's just say it. He has charisma. Let's just say it. And so he was a big influencer by being a totally authentic person, I should say this. He wasn't a scammer. He wasn't trying to create an image. He He's a very authentic person, people relate to that. And so that was kind of part two, right? He, he opened the door for this to be, hey, this is kind of fun, this is kind of cool. You know, you're not just the dork, you know, out there jogging endlessly miles complaining about their blisters. And then you could say a part, th- and also Tony told me once, that after that famous Western States battle with Jeff Rose, that was uh, immortalized in the movie Unbreakable, he said, yeah, I realized you can race a hundred miles. It's like, that. that that's, see, that was an insightful thing to say. Because up to that point, no one was really racing them. You were time trailing them. You know, it's like, do your own race, whoever gets their first wins. But that was an actual race. And so it, it opened the door to a name that you just... Uh, mentioned, Jim Walmsley, who's just faster than anybody. I mean, he's just, you know, he's, he's certainly the best, uh, ultra under male or female in the United States for the past, I, I don't know, four or five years. He's got great speed. He trains hard. He can do the distance. He's not terrific technically, but you don't have to be terrific technically in this country. And so now you've got really fast guys. I mean, look at what Jim did at the U S Olympic trials a year ago. You know, he, he beat Bernard Lagat mm-hmm. at the Olympic trials. So, you know, it, it kind of bumped up to this other level and people are getting paid another level entirely. There's sponsorship money and things like that. And so I guess those are the three names that come to my mind out of the U.S. And I'll give it a pause here in a second. But the fourth name you have to mention, not out of the U.S., is Killian Jernet. And Killian is the best mountain ultra trail runner of the generation male, female, this year, last year, next year, probably. And uh, he put it on the world map, right? I mean, what are, the Washington Post, the London Times is gonna report what Killian's up to and they should because he's that good of an mm-hmm. athlete, right? So if, if you're in high school and you kinda wanna say, all right, I wanna be somebody, or you're in college even, I wanna be someone, you've heard of Killian Jornet. And so you can aspire to that. You know, hopefully you're also aspiring to be Iliad Kipchoge. You know, hopefully you're also aspiring to be, you know, Ginny Simpson and people like that. Uh, But Killian sets this standard that a top athlete who really wants to make something of themselves can say, Hey, I want to go do that. And I'm going to give it a pause here in a second, but I'm going to bring this all the way back around. And what, everyone i just mentioned does is they maintain the egalitarian nature of this sport right everybody has always done that scott jurek western states 100 the guy is sitting there under the tent the year he beat dave Mackey in a tough in a tough race dave finished second in in one of the fastest times ever there's scott sitting under the tent with an iv drip in both arms And when the last person crosses the finish line, Scott's out there greeting him, right? Mm -hmm. That's another thing Scott Mm -hmm. Jurek did. And Killian, if you're not one of the top athletes, if you're just say, hey, what's up? What's cool? You look at those videos. Wow. That's cool, right? So all these people I mentioned, and of course, Tony is the same way. He he's picked up climbing he picked up schemo he's a really strong we actually were in a race together just uh, 10 days ago a gravel bike race and so he is just demonstrating that you can live learn and love being in the outdoors Killian is demonstrating that this is something that everybody he is inspires everybody and so throughout these four evolutions that i just mentioned there is a commonality here which is maintaining the egalitarian nature of the sport. We have elite runners, mm-hmm. but we are definitely not an elitist sport. And with the, the social justice movement from Black Lives Matter to everything else is taking place, that's doubling down on that. We got a ways to catch up. I think I'm really happy these movements have happened because we've been lacking in that regard. Uh, but it's always been the door hasn't been wide open, but the door has never been locked, if you see what I mean. And so the egalitarian Mm -hmm. nature is alive and well from
0: everything I have ever seen. And I think that's a very good thing. Well said, well said, you know, and I, I want to believe and I do believe that the experiential kind of aspect of ultra, even if it's on the road, but more specifically in that adventure, you know, uh, variety where we go and experience and kind of like have to go within, have dark places. And then also, you know, just to to have a passion or desire to do and be in the wilderness, I feel like, you know, creates a special common bond. That's different than let's say a lot of other Olympic sports. And, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, Tony, you know, unapologetically, you know, he's got strong opinions. He has his own style. He does what he wants. And that creates an icon, a legend. And then Killian, you talked about this guy is a humble, kind, wonderful soul that, like you know, leads us in our sport. In in my opinion, in a way that like no other you know athlete in a lot of other sports I, I feel like does. And it's I appreciate that and I love that and I hope that that. Continues, and and you seem to be very very confident that running will always be that way. The difference between you know sometimes cultures of American ultra trail running and let's say Western European trail running, I feel that it's it's different, and 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 I, I feel that it's it's a it, you know just just the kind of dirt bag, you know, hand water bottle, you know, which which I which I, I've I've never understood. And I only did it for a few years, you know, like I I always use the packs. But the American hand water bottle and partly because of Tony, like little little shorts and like a big beard and piercings and just going out there and not giving a shit about, you know, matching or or you know doing things that are flashy. That is different than the French trail running or the Swiss trail running, having a full uniform and even how the races are. There's tons of people. It's not about a like kind of hang out and have beers afterwards. It's kind of, it's, it's a little bit more formal. It's a little bit more triathlon. And, and there is differences, not to say that we can't have that common bond of that experiencing long trail adventure. But I, I, I do sometimes wonder that it is possible that it, that could change, I feel like. And and yeah, I'm just kind of just, just putting my thoughts out there, Buzz. Right. I, I don't well, know if that's a real question, but.
1: <laughs> I think you're identifying the difference between North American and European trail running mm-hmm. and ultra running, which is you've been there many times. And so it's like, whoa, you can't miss it, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You show up at the starting line, you don't have to figure it out. It's like, whoa, this is different. And just to comment on a few of those things, I really like what you said about the kit. You know, the Euros might show up with this matching kit, you know, top and bottom, skin-tight spandex. If they showed up like that at a mountain race in the United States, you would be like, whoa, dude. I <laughs> mean, it's like, hmm. <laughs> And so that's and of course I was ran ultimate direction. So we had this interesting little game that we had to play here because we have our our big market for us was in Europe. And then our big market for us Mm -hmm. is in North America. Boy, don't try to design the same way because it's different. And so I I personally think, in my personal opinion, they're 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 overly polarized. You come to the United States and the ultra setup, even the trail setup, is pretty shabby. I'm just gonna say it. It's like everything's it's REI, it's brown black, gray, and, and it's baggy. And it's like, well, did you really need to look that shabby? It's kind of like the skateboarder look. Oops, I just insulted skateboarders now. So why do that? Well, the Euro look is a little over the top in my personal opinion. You know, you don't really need spandex when you're, you know, doing 10 minute miles. doesn't really, wind resistance is not really a factor. <laughs> so that's one difference between the two cultures but the other two others though i think kind of more I and mean, that's just style it's like style is great i mean you want style diversity right uh in fact when i see more black folks people of color coming into the sports like yeah they're kind of they are kind of throwing down a little bit and it's like okay finally you get showing something here I'm, I'm kind of happy to see mm-hmm. but two other things that i think are a little more notable and one the first one, which you and I, I'm sure you've noticed the same thing. I noticed this right off the bat. The world, tra- the word trail running does not exist in Europe. It's called mountain running. Mm-hmm. That's for a reason. So what we started doing here was jogging really long distances on trails. I mean, I, I'm going to say it, jogging. And until some of these evolutions mm-hmm. that we described took place, people weren't moving very fast. <laughs> they were going fairly slow. And instead to push the envelope, they went longer. This is American thing. Here's another editorial comment uh, 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 warning, which was Americans bigger is better. It's just somehow in our nature. So rather than going faster, more technical, more interesting or being better in those regards, the sport evolved in this country by just going longer which I think is very, very unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So people getting into the sport rather than learning good technique, good form, cardiovascular fitness and running economy, they just learn to jog for really long distances and apply Vaseline between their legs. And it's like, really? This is, Mm -hmm. you know, come on, let's, let's learn to run. Running is kind of fun, it's sort of interesting. In Europe then it was not called trail running, it was called mountain running. And that's indeed what they did and it was, It was super fun. You're starting in some, you know, postcard picture, perfect Alpine village, you know, with the flower pots up in the third story windows. And you, you're right out of the gate. You're just running up through these cobblestone streets and you get on the trail past the cows and it just cranks, right? You've done these races and it's, eh, you're going to the top, baby. And it's going up. You get the top and you go, wow, look at this. And you're gassed. You know, it's not like you're worrying about blisters or chafing or you know hydration, you're just gassed. And you turn around and it's, you know, head first back down. I remember one of my first races when the Dolomites, actually called the Dolomites Sky Race, you know, I saw a guy do three somersaults. <laughs> I mean, this is how steep the descent was. You know, I just loved it. I ate it up. It was like, dang, I wish I, you know, I, I knew it was like it, that, but I didn't have the money to go over there. I didn't have sponsors. I, you know, I couldn't go. So I didn't go there till I was in my fifties, but still I won prize money in my early fifties because all right, we're going up, we're going down. It's steep. It's hard. So I think, That aspect Mm -hmm. has come to the United States a little bit in Canada. You know, the Sky Race is, you know, the the, the, it's actually a branded term invented by two people. The Sky Race concept came here. You have things like the Broken Arrow out in California, the rut up in Montana. So we're trying to do a little more technical courses. But our style still Mm -hmm. is go really long. You know, we, we invented the 200. We invented the 100 miler. Now we've invented the 200 miler. Well, in europe you know it's still like you know let's go to the top of something and then come back down okay so that's mm-hmm. one i think play for blending is helpful and now the third aspect about the difference between north america and europe is that kind of what's the word in your face corporate aspect and so there's sort of hmm, interesting aspects of that so for an fkt here we really want to level the playing fields so we have People have to supply verification, a GPX file. But generally speaking, someone's going to be out there doing this by themselves. That's why Mm -hmm. one reason my guess that there's a preponderance of an imbalance of male to female in the FKT world because it tends to be more solitary. And while generally speaking, very generally speaking, so I don't want to sound like I'm talking about anyone specific, but statistically speaking, females are a little more social they're a little smarter They're a little more well adjusted a little more well adapted oops more editorial comments well you know some males maybe a little bit more are don't fit in really well and so they tend to go out there all by themselves and do maybe really amazing things Well, in europe there could be those blow up banners at the finish of an fkt you see what i mean they've taken it to the sponsorship of fkts to another level and in our world fastest known time.com. We say fine. Like I started this podcast by saying it's a big tent. (laughs) You know, we don't do value judgment. We're just, Mm -hmm. you and I are just bantering about the difference between the European scene, the North American scene, and hopefully they're they're different, but hopefully they're cross pollinating each other. So for example, I think the percent females to males in europe is a little higher because they have a little bit more interaction you might go out it's a little more support and you see other people along the way and they're a little more socially well adjusted so they're happy with that and so Mm -hmm. it's it's good it's good What, what happens in asia is tbd you know asia tends to follow what we do in the west culturally to some degree technically they're just way beyond us but socially and culturally they tend to not socially but culturally tend to follow us And of course there's that giant disaster in china just unbelievable two Mm -hmm. weeks ago and so china shut Mm -hmm. down their so-called extreme sports so we won't know what's going to happen in china uh it's got shut down japan i think they're still trying to sort it out but we do see these differences between north america and europe Personally, I appreciate the differences. You can take your pick as to what you want to do. And in my opinion, it's all good. Yeah.
2: Buzz, I've got, I've got a question for you on this theme. So I found a, a couple of nice quotes from you on the internet. As all good podcasters. Do they Google the people that they're hanging out with? And so you have one that is like really similar to what we're talking about here. And you say fun rhymes with run. You you have a call here. Help put the word run back into trail running by supporting mountain running teams and by suggesting young people to learn to run before they learn to slog through ultras and by encouraging real trail racing. What does that mean to you
1: today? Well, thank you, Jason. Appreciate that question. I did allude to that a minute ago. And again, I'm just speaking unofficially. This isn't the the opinion in any way, shape, or form of fastest known time, LLC. But my personal opinion is that that American desire to go bigger is ill-placed. And a lot of respects you know we make bigger cars bad for the environment you know we make bigger houses bad for the environment et cetera. Et cetera. so across the board i think this is something we got to pay attention to our desire to maximize that's actually the technical term i think is inappropriate and should be looked at now taking it back to your question regarding regard to running uh we when was this like 10 no it's like 15 years ago and i was talking to someone who's kind of getting into running getting into trail running and he said yeah i want to do leadville it's like okay why don't you wait till you're like 40 years old i mean why not it's you know the traditional evolution was to you know run fast compete you know knock a few elbows here and there and learn how to run and then when your body slows down which it will i mean with time you know the the markers are very interesting your endurance hangs in there for a very long time schlarbs a good example of this your toughness hangs in there your leg speed is going to drop off really early so your springiness your flexibility is going to drop off and so why not learn to run early and get good at that and that way when you make the transition to the longer distances you will be able to hold tempo with the people who already can hold tempo and you know went into this from a better running background than you do. Now of course if your goal is to go out there and just you know do a few hundreds, have a good time, meet friends and basically have a supported run, excellent, do that. That's all good. But if you want to make a name for yourself, start off by learning how to run. Of course, they may sound like, what do you mean? I already know how to run. But it's an interesting sport, right? So if you play tennis, you take tennis lessons. Everyone takes tennis lessons. If you run, you never take lessons. It's kind of interesting. The technique is gone from running. We just run. This is probably... You know, some people are fine with that. Like we talk about Walmsley, look at Walmsley stride. It's like, wow, this guy is rotating at the hips. He's got long legs. He's got good strength. He looks really good. My son Galen is actually like that. A lot of people are like that. schlard. you got an excellent form, but a lot of people don't have good form. And so let's pay a little bit of attention to the techniques of running, the actual technical form. And then when you go to do that 50 when you go to do that 100 that attention to technique early in your career will serve you well
2: this quote really resonated with me because you put these things out there and then people kind of pick up their own meaning or find their own meaning in the words that we say right but um Jason and I've had this conversation a lot about people what we see and I've seen as a race director and a coach is a lot of folks wanted to do, they're like ah. I'm going to go run a hundred miles. I've never run a marathon or really spent much time on trail, but I'm going to go bang out 24 hours at a hundred miles on the trail. And it never really makes sense. And that's one piece of it. The other one is that as race directors, we've faced a lot of pushback and criticism of elitism for having aggressive cutoffs in our races. And we've, you know, this, we've only hosted, 50K and 100K distances in the ultra marathon world. And we never ask for anything faster than like an 18 minute per mile pace for 50K and still get criticized for not welcoming in enough people. And our point is, our pushback has always been, this is a race, like you're here to race. And if you can't make this cutoff, go train harder. And when you're ready to come and race, then we're here for you and we'll support you and we'll be there for you. But I, it is a lot more what, what especially I've seen in the Texas market is companies that are more interested, I think, in making money. And they bring a lot of people into the sport, but a lot of them are just walking or, or, or doing something other than really – running and racing and, and making it this competitive sport. And I feel like the industry seems almost bifurcated between a realm where there is competition and a realm where there's just a lot of, uh, well, there's just no competition. It's kind of like a commercial thing that's going on um, that that's really stripped of that that element of like let's be competitive let's get out here and race let's work hard let's create something like that and um i like my experience when i got into trail racing and i was in central texas was that i'd go out and i'd i'd race my ass off in a 50k and then i would sit at the finish line for an hour before the next person would finish and i was like this is not really fun and i had to come to colorado to find competition to go from winning a race by an hour to struggling for a top 10 finish at best and uh, anyway so that's that kind of i connected with that in that way this idea of sort of putting the racing back into it but also making sure that you you chop wood and you carry water long enough that you you build the skill set the acumen, the experience to actually go for 50 miles or a hundred miles or whatever sort of endurance, right? ultra adventure you want to go on.
1: Indeed. Well, that's a lovely question you posed and a lovely thing to just deal with for a minute. So thank you. Thank you for bringing that up because it's real interesting. And as you said, there's a wide range here, and the only thing I I would completely agree and accept this, except I wouldn't accept the bifurcation part. Let's just say – I think you're going to accept this too. There's a spectrum here, and people exist everywhere on the spectrum, and both ends of the spectrum are going to continue. So as a race director, you – are free to decide what you want your race to be. <laughs> so people sometimes complain to RDs. It's like, really? You don't like it to start your own race. So th- there's no public obligation here. Just kind of want to put this out there that the race director would right. say, okay, everyone's going to run in a three-legged sack race. You don't like that? Don't do it. So it's, it's I mean, it's, Now, if this was run by the government, then there had to be this sense of fairness that's run on the public, that taxpayers' money, then it absolutely has to be fair and totally inclusive and things like that. But as our RDs can do anything they bloody want. But let's just stay with this for a minute because those are two entirely valid aspects. One is the competitive aspect. Another one is just the finish. And so for what i'm just going to top my head this 80% of running races the persons there to maybe pr to see how they do to see friends and get some exercise and so the job of the race director for that 80% is to make sure the course is well marked there's good aid stations you know everything's totally clear and easy and straightforward and as soon as you move into the ultra phase then how much does your job entail getting them to the finish line? Right. That's very interesting, isn't it? And I, I can't answer that at all. I I, 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 mean, we can't answer that. That is for the each race director to decide is my job just to set up, set the stage and let people do whatever they can, or is my job to get every last person to the finish line. And once you get over a certain distance, You can't do that because the the, the entrants, the people who might have criticized you, as you just mentioned, have to understand that the whole thing works because of volunteers. Without volunteers, there is no such thing as a race. (laughs) And your volunteers can't be out there for 24 hours. It can't happen. And so a cutoff has a certain legitimacy. That's not about exclusivity versus inclusivity. No, no, no. It's literally, you can't do it. You can't ask someone to be out there all night necessarily. And so you have to set a certain standard. 18-minute miles, I think, is, you know, very beyond fair. I think that's, let's call that generous, Mm -hmm. that if you can't maintain 18 minute miles, then, Hey, you're great. We love you. You're super human being. Keep at it next year. I'm sure you'll be able to do it in the meantime, maybe drop down to a distance where you can do 18 minute miles. Right. Yeah. So I think you have to keep the attitude very, very positive, inclusive, supportive, but Everything isn't for everybody. That's that's kind of how it has to work, just from a practical point of view.
0: Yeah, I, it, you know that's that's kind of you know, especially with a lot of those races taking place in in Texas and lower elevation. You know, it, it becomes almost more like a, a hiking thing. And there's nothing wrong with walking or or being into that, but it's it, it kind of it, it goes back to a comment that you said, Buzz, and that um, you know you said for. For for an athlete that wants to make a name for themselves, I, I I would argue that it would be fantastic for our trail running culture to realize that longevity, enjoyment, and healthiness comes from doing the things that you just mentioned to be making a name for yourself. And that's working on run economy, that's working on speed, and also, you know, reasonability with volume. You know, I I love and I was attracted to the idea coming from a, a, a 5k. Uh, I was a 1500 meter runner in college because the 5k was ridiculous. You know, it was way too many laps. To a place of you know being let's <laughs> let's say we're talking about culture, a cavalier American that wants to go bigger, farther, and have a huge F350. I appreciate both of those aspects because I do want to go see. I, I did want to go see. Well, what the hell does my body do at North Face in San Francisco for fifty miles if I can run a two twenty marathon? I can. Mean, let's see what happens. I have no 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 fucking clue what a double marathon is going to feel like. But you know, I kind of cheated, let's say, and I I came from a you know uh, a, a a collegiate background of, of 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 running, but I would hope that trail running, ultra marathon running, mountain running could have this perspective of if you want to do this and have fun, it's not just about going how you know, long and far and just adding miles and, and, and vert, you know, kind of partly because of Jeff Rose and, and Tony and Timmy, you know, kind of setting that bar of just go ahead and do as much as you can till you burn out to, hey, there's a better way to do this, uh, David Swap. Uh, those kind of perspectives of having that reasonability, having that focus on run economy, and then you can enjoy and stay healthy and have a better thing. And, and, and then the reputation and, and of the sport can be much better instead of having people that get injured or burned out and, you know, do five, one hundreds in, you know, a, a year, year and a half. You know, I, I think that that's, that's something that I hope that we can as a, you know, bring into the tent of trail running buzz.
1: Good. Right. Longevity. Well, I guess I could, (laughs) I have a few thoughts on longevity, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah, congratulations, Jason. You've done real well. You're still competitive. And what are you, you're like 26 or 27 years old now. You're an old guy, aren't you?
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> 43, man, 43, but it, it, and it's because of ah, 43. Oh, I'm sorry. I was a little off there. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know. I know it's, it, it's easy to, to make that mistake, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, it, it, you know <laughs> I, I, I looked up to Tony. Um, I was in Boulder in 2009 to 2012 and he was, you know, this is before coaches this was before you know, very much of a, of a structure or, or like a, an understanding of how to, to, to do ultras. And I kind of like blended like, okay, I wanna have like set workout days, but I also really appreciate and love this idea of, you know, running hard and in the mountains all the time because it's really fun and it's awesome. And I went down that path <laughs> a little bit too much. And while I had great success and it led me to you know running with Killian and Hard Rock and winning Run Rabbit Run, my wheels came off. You know, the the, the 20 years of, of fast and run economy stuff came off because I didn't make that, you know, that, that transition, that focus. And now, you know, part of the reason I have longevity is that back in 2016, I said, oh shit, this is this doesn't feel right. I can see what my, you know, what, what my heroes of the past or have experienced already, how can I fix this? You know, talking to, you know, Claire Gallagher and, and, and and hearing about this David thing of only six days a week, which I've never done ever, you know, I've always run seven days a week, you know, two days, um, you know, two or three or four days of, of a week. And I transitioned to that. And I was like, blindly, like, screw it. Okay, let's do this. You know, I'm I'm getting a little bit older. I need to, to, to try something different. I can feel that I'm burning out. I'm, I'm losing too much weight, and I'm jogging my easy runs at like nine pace, versus you know six forty five, seven fifteen of the past. And I think that that awakening it's it's happening. But it, you know, it I, I think it's important for us to like get that perspective instead of focusing on you know doing Tah- Tahoe Tahoe two forty or the Cocodino whatever. And, and, and really getting that healthy aspect and, and that, that, that way of, you know, be able to, to, to run fast, have our best results, but also have that fun. How how, how, right. how you had your Well, luck- you're
1: referring to David, David Roach, who I... Yeah. Pardon me?
0: How have you lasted missed the so question. and adventured so long? Like what? 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 What is? What is Buzz Burrell's tips for, for being able to go and uh, do adventures at you know your young age of thirty two? You know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> thirty three. No, I actually I know it's an easy mistake to make, like you said. Well, I, just going back to what you mentioned a minute ago, David means David Roach is your coach, a highly yep. intelligent person. And he's, you know, has people that he coaches, which is, you know, a lot, you know, coach of the star. He was on our podcast about six months ago, taking some days off and take some rest days. And if you get a little injury, you, you let it come back and so forth. So this is really helpful compared with the go all out all the time idea, which doesn't really work. Coming back to me, just building upon that, you know, you have your pro coaches who have uh, knowledge of physiology that I do not have. And so I'm going to go rather instead with my usual buzz one liners here, which are a little more conceptual and emotional in nature, which for me at Joseph Campbell, once famously said, follow your bliss that becomes longevity, right? And at some point, why you are doing this has to be internalized so it becomes a lifestyle rather than something you are doing. It becomes something you are rather than what you're doing. And that is this next level of longevity. So again, people like uh, David can talk about the physiological aspects for an elite athlete and training better than I can. So I'm just going to leave that alone uh, for the most part. My one-liner on that one is you can only train as hard as you can rest. So if you aren't resting, training is just going to make you tired. That's all there is to that. If you can't sleep at night, training is just going to make you tired. Keep in mind, when you go out for a run or lift weights or whatever it happens to be, the run doesn't make you a better runner. It's when you lay down on the couch after the run. That's when you get to be a better runner, right? It's when your body builds up. That's the training effect. It's two aspects to it. And if you take the rest part out of it, you're just... You're just gonna get tired and tired but then taking it to another level of my perspective there's that connect on the deeper place of why are you doing this because if it's external i want to win this 10k i want to lose weight i want to look good i want to feel good about myself okay these are somewhat temporal these are not deep drivers of what we do really are they you see what i mean is that really a deep driver i want to lose weight or i want to run a 10k under 30 minutes or 40 minutes or whatever Eh, i'm not so sure but what if moving in nature moving your body and breathing air becomes part of who you're out you are then you have a different level of longevity you see what i mean then it's going somewhere else. And I got another thing I like to say about this. Of course, there's a lot of streakers. We just noticed on his uh, blog uh, one week ago, Brian Powell, irunfar.com, announced that he was quitting running for a while. It's like, okay, you know, people are like, oh, why are you doing that? I don't know why he's doing that. But I do know that streaking is an odd thing in my personal opinion. Like I'm gonna go out and run five miles every day, no matter what. And so I I, I don't do this at all, at all. (laughs) And I realized my counterpoint to the the whole streaking thing is to realize that I have always been a streaker also, but very different. I only go for a run when I want to. Whoa, boom. What did that guy just say? If I don't want to go for a run, I don't. (laughs) If I want to quit, guess what? I quit. You see what I mean? So I'm, I'm in this different place entirely. I'm a streaker on this other level completely, which is be real, be authentic, be with who you are. And if you can visit that dark side, that shadow side, that inner side of yourself that doesn't think you're good enough, that doesn't think you have self-worth unless you do this thing, if you're willing to walk into your shadow self with your eyes wide open, and experience that shadow self, then you come out with a type of longevity that's different, right? (laughs) It's coming from this solid foundation that isn't based on a training plan, that isn't based on a goal, it's just based on being alive and taking a breath.
2: I love that. Yeah, this brings me to the other thing you said that I wanted to quote, which I think is Is awesome. Always use running as a mirror to inner growth, happiness, and wholeness. Do you remember? Do you remember saying that, Buzz? (laughs) I I, I don't, but I would have said that. Is that still true today?
1: (laughs) Oh yes, yes. (laughs) It is true today. And again, I don't want to sound overly aspirational here. I think to you know get started and say, "Man, I." I'm just working this dead end job and like, whatever. I'm going to just going to start running a mile a day. Great. You know, make a plan, get a coach, uh, whip yourself into shape, you know, know, Twitter with friends every day at 8 a.m. Did you do your run? Right. So it's, again, it's all good. (laughs) It's all one big tent. Whatever your motivation is, whatever your reason is, yes, I'm strongly supportive of, again, it's a big tent. Everyone's welcome under it. But that quote does pertain to my personal, my individual way of looking at it, right? So I don't wanna transpose my way of looking at it onto anybody else. But I personally have used that. uh, and I've been willing to say, why am I doing this? What's up? And ask kind of some serious questions and be willing to hear serious answers to it. And I have quit running many times because I couldn't figure out why I was doing it. And so I stopped, did something else. I had personal growth in other areas. And then it came back around. Here's another quote. Sorry about this, I'm full of these one-liners. If you love something and you throw it away, it'll come right back to you. See, whatever you love, You can let go of it and it'll come back. (laughs) That's It kind of opens up a lot of different possibilities, doesn't it? And one of them is sort of relaxing a little bit because if you really love something, it'll be there. You can relax. Just let go. Loosen your grip. It'll still be there. And something that you don't love, you loosen your grip and it drifts away. It's like, bye. <laughs> your load just got lightened. You see what I mean? So if you're carrying a load, it yeah. might be best to lighten that load. And if it's something that you love, then it's not a load. And loosening your grip in either circumstances is not a bad plan.
2: This seems like sage advice. Were you always this wise in, in your running and your, your purpose connecting to that because we talk a lot about purpose and um, and, and then the coaching world I was in before this project working on with Run Beyond we talked a lot about purpose and I always had a hard time I couldn't I could not pen a purpose for running and I think that it's evolved over time and I got caught in a period where I wasn't sure if running to chase victory and because I was good at it, it was the right thing to do. And, and, you know, that eventually became a conversation of why not do something that you're really good at. That's part of what motivates you and gives you love for it. And, um, and so I feel like I've, I've been in and out of the shadows with it, right. Where I think I have an unhealthy relationship with running or I have a healthy relationship with running. And then there are also times where, I've seen for myself and for a lot of athletes I've been around where we just beat the shit out of ourselves to no end to the point where it's like, it sucks to go out and run because you're injured all the time. Or you're just struggling to like stay healthy. Biochemical stress is out of whack. Mental, emotional, or you're burnt out on running. And we, we actually do have a tendency, I think a lot in this sport to just go too hard all the time. And then, and then that becomes an unhealthy relationship. And so and you're talking you, you know the the picture you're painting for us right i think is for for me is one of looking back on a career of running and thinking i just need to let go of my attachments to these things sometime and take a break do it when it feels right do it when it feels good do it when it's enjoyable and not worry too much about competition and and and, and how my identity is tied to running in a way that I think I have to be great all the time or people have to look up to me because I'm notching these accomplishments or winning races or setting records or something. And, and maybe I could, you know, I I think you're inspiring me best to set an example of of like being more relaxed about it, as you say, (laughs) Um, and not necessarily like destroying yourself, ruining your opportunities or, 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 undermining your relationship with running and rather good for like you enjoying it right using it for that personal purpose just for yourself and figuring out like for you what does it mean and forget about everything else external
1: good for you that was wonderful 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 to hear that you are on an, uh, a self-reflective mm-hmm. path and it, it's a path it's not like i f- switching the lever right so I'm on the path, you're on the path. Probably most people listening to this podcast are on that similar path. And so I was really delighted to hear that you have this lovely bit of self-reflection kind of wondering what's up. And I, my only main comment to that is the question itself is valid. You don't need an answer. <laughs> I mean, it was Goethe, I believe who said that. When the question itself becomes your answer, that's when you've arrived. So it's it's okay and to have a question. And nowadays, particularly in this insanely politicalized world where you have to be on one side or the other, otherwise you're a bad person and you're just you know, lobbing you know, stones at each other, to have an open question and to say, I'm not sure, that is a blessing. So I would just like to encourage you to feel comfortable Asking questions and having self-reflection and not needing to know an answer, not needing to be able to pick up a flag and run with it.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. After the Marine Corps, I went to college and I had all these questions about conflict, war, world politics, how we ended up in Iraq, how I ended up in Iraq. <clears throat> And I was taking an international politics class. It was like the third class I'd taken with this political science professor at UT Austin, Pat McDonald. And one day he walks into class after I had probably spent too many hours in his office hours. And he says, look, there are no questions or sorry, there are no answers. There are only questions. And, and what you can do is spend your time trying to come up with your best understanding of how the world works, how your world works, not just the broader world and then you know live and experience and figure out how your lived experience matches this whole theoretical world in which we live where we come up with ideas and we talk about things and then and then we, we just see if they match reality and uh, so I think I think that's where I, there the question is yeah. is the end right?
0: That's the journey. That's the experience. I think, you know, another way to, to, you know, the question is the answer or, you know, the question is what matters. uh, You know, I I think another way to perceive that is is also the process, you know, of living how you want training or or like having stimulus or or doing as you want and, and being in that moment. You know, like for me. There's been 15 weeks of no running and a lot of questions of, uh, you know, where is this going to end with it? What's the answer? And and how am I going? When's my next race, you know, with a a big ass injury and, you know, through way too long, you know, getting to you know, be 43. I finally come to the point where, you know, I lost count of how many weeks that was. And, you know, that would have never have happened at, when I was younger. And instead, you know, for me, the, the, the what, you know, the throwing away what I love, let's say, it came right back at me, uh, Buzz, in, you know, crutching around in Moab going one mile. And just looking at, you know, cactuses and, and the sandstone formations, um, it, it, the, the, the throwing it away came back later as as biking. You know i'm never going to be a professional biker it's not a way of life but it is uh you know or, or, or something that makes me money but it was you know how i could have that back again let's get that is is hard to define but that experience that outdoor that you know moving my body those kind of things and that that process that moment uh that passion that love you know that drove me to be a professional mountain runner was really there you know driving me and and giving me satisfaction as a amateur mountain bike run uh, rider that you know had a banged up knee and you know just being able to do that and appreciate that and actually like have fun and and be in peace was a total different experience than you know back when i was injured in college and 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 so pissed off and my doing every single thing and and visualizing the end state and, and how I could come back and, and beat my, you know, competitors or beat a certain time or show the world that I'm, you know, really good. And I can get a sponsor that pays me. And then therefore I would be happy, you know, and instead it, 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 it's, it's all about that. It's, it's all about the process. It's all about the moment. It's about what you really love and letting go. And it's, uh, it's a maturity thing. And, and like I, I, it's amazing when I run into people that are like 20-something and, and know this, man. It, it wasn't until COVID that I really figured this kind of thing out. And it's great to hear you, Buzz, talk about that, and Jason as well.
1: <laughs> well, I figured it out last week. I mean, two weeks ago, I was a complete dick. So <laughs> I, I it, uh, but you mentioned maturity, I think that's true. I mean, healthily, it's, a, it's stages of human development to some degree. And so as you alluded to, when I was in my 20s and 30s, yeah, right? And you get into your 40s and you start to you know, mellow out Is sort of the conceptual term for it, but you really reprioritize life, what it means and what you wanna get out of it. And this is completely normal. So just like with all sorts of things, this is actually natural and healthy stages of human development you have you know the baby needs this just and then the toddler the teenager right if you look at the uh enzymes the hormones not the enzymes but the hormonal uh, profile of a 18 year old male it's completely different than yours and completely different than mine i mean they, they do things that are just downright stupid i mean they're just and they actually look at the, the hormonal profile there and they are lacking the 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 profile to make intelligent non-risk based decisions they literally are lacking it and this is part of the survival of the species so when you're 20 years old you get in your canoe and you go canoe across the ocean and found a new you know civilization somewhere right you explore space you do this you do that and 10 percent of those people get killed but that's good for the species and then after a certain age, those hormones shift and you do other things. You know, then you raise a family and you become a very a real protector and the, the kids can grow up, they can find safety and protection. And you get to be my age and then, oops, I'm not sure what you're supposed to do at my age. Hmm, hmm, I have to be thinking about that. Uh, so I guess I got a lot of questions to answer myself. But uh, in regards to this evolution, I think it is human nature. I think some of the things I've said, logically, appropriately, will not sound right to someone listening to this at age 20 to 30. Because it's up to them now at that age to go attack. Right? In in the in the fairy tales, like Robert Bly tells the story of Iron John, there's the red knight, the black knight, the white knight, they come in succession. Uh, it's a different order for most females, but you know, the red knight is a charger, that's all they do. And then the black knight goes into this place of complete self reflection. Then at the end, the white knight it has this openness, etc., etc. And so, some of the things I've said, you know, they sound kind of groovy, but if you're in a different phase of your life, I'm just sounding like an idiot. But give them 20
0: years. <laughs> Yeah, but it's nice to have some of those mentors, coaches, leaders be able to you know not restrain, but kind of you know direct and like give some some direction to those those other younger development stages because you know I it, it's, it's some people stay in those places too long you know myself uh, in particular. And, you know, you know, harnessing that anxiety, that drive, that recklessness, that intensity that made me successful at, you know, you know, ravaging myself and and crossing the finish line, no matter what, you know, almost dying, you know, and instead being able to like have that, uh, that wisdom bring into the the, the perspective is is so powerful. And, And in a sport like Trail Ultra, you know, we don't have those coaches. We don't have that sage advice oftentimes in mentorship. Um, and, and we see so many of the athletes that come into the sport just like die, let's say. Uh, you know, it, 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 relatively, that's what they do. Um, so it, it, it's, it's, it's good to have th- this, this, this word come out, you know, with both the training group coaches and, you know, peers to be able to have the conversations to, to better ourselves in our sports.
1: Right, good. Well, hopefully, the people listening will gain some value out of this. Of course, they could say, "God, old enough. guy's washed up, when an idiot. Or they could say, "Wow, deep wisdom." I don't know. It's kind of the blurry lines between the two, in my opinion.
2: Well, Buzz, uh, I, my wife, and I are huge fans of the FKT movement, and. It seems like the pandemic was a boon for FKTs kind of around the world. But I'm not sure because it also coincides with you all rebuilding fastestknowntime.com, really slick website. You rewrote the rules on FKTs in some ways launched a newsletter a podcast so there's also a lot more going on around it to highlight it and showcase it and bring people's stories to the fore where is fkt going in the next five to ten years
1: Ooh, well like i'm not sure if i could say exactly where it's going in the next five ten years but what you said is true in that the pandemic did give it a big push particularly on the competitive end of things so if you were training for something something you couldn't do that thing anymore so let's go for an fkt you can do that that all made perfect sense and that's really at the, the top end there but for other people it actually didn't matter that much you know people are going out and doing creative things things in their backyard so just for the people who aren't aware a fastest known time can be set Almost, not almost anywhere, but many places. Any route is not an FKT worthy route, but it doesn't have to be the John Muir Trail, Mount Everest, the Matterhorn, or Rim to Rim to Rim. So we currently have, let me look this up right now, with 3,766 routes on fastestknowntime.com. And we have currently, uh, FKTs 9,514 have been officially recorded and um, reviewed and placed on the website. So where does this go? I think it just keeps going. Um, I think the the number of routes is gonna drop off because we don't want run around the block to become an FKT route. This is not Strava. You know, I use Strava every day. I love I really like Strava, but I completely ignore their segments. Their segments have are literally worthless to me because there's too many of them. They're diluted. They've they've lost any meaning. It's you know, some guy, and I suspect it's a guy, it could be a lady too. I'm not sure. But you know, they're putting up segments between two mailboxes, you know, between you know the post office and their house, things that only they care about. So an FKT route has been reviewed and curated by an individual to be worthy for other people to consider it so naturally there'll be a slowing down of the number of routes, and then in terms of the number of fkts that can't continue the existing growth because the fastest known time is the fastest known time and as soon as they get faster it becomes harder to do it so for example a really interesting phenomena is I think I mentioned rim to rim to rim we mentioned Jim Walmsley so what happened now is no male is trying for rim to rim to rim in the Grand Canyon because they can't yeah. beat Walmsley's time <laughs> and they know it uh, the females are still going after it but uh, that one is kind of like hmm it sort of went into archive mode so what we will start doing is opening it up broadening it up a little bit more what I think we will do which i've been wanting to do but i'm not exact i'm a co-founder and co-owner but i don't run fastest known time like i did ud so i can't make these decisions is we're gonna add an age group to it we'll start with one age group which will make a lot of sense right now it's just imagine a race where there's no age groups you see you know half the people wouldn't enter <laughs> right imagine a thousand people entering some you know, half marathon and suddenly you say, there's no age group. Half the people would not enter the race. And so I think we could broaden this and help and support the community by adding like at least one age group. We're not going to do five-year, we're not going to do 10-year increments. And secondly, we could add leaderboards. Again, it's not going to go like Strava, but we're going to go, that just gets too confusing, but we can go top 10. So say you want to go for, you know, the speed record on Mount Rainier and you come up, you know, five minutes short, well, instead of just not making the list because it wasn't the fastest time, if you're in the top 10, you're gonna get listed. And so I think I think that'll help broaden it a little bit. So that's what I see happening with FKTs. They're they're certainly not going away because I'm on all ends of the spectrum, people like it. If you're an an average person, you're inspired. The FKT routes are a bucket list of the coolest routes. If you're going somewhere else in the country, go to the website, look up the routes there. You're going to see the coolest routes Mm -hmm. to do there. And if you're top end, you can now use FKTs as part of your sponsorship package. You know, you could say, I got a podium at Run Rabbit Run, or you could say, you know, I got the, you know, FKT on the Tahoe Rim Trail, you know, TNF or whomever is going to Accept both of those as valid in terms of the professional runner fulfilling their obligations. And then the professional runner, the top people, you know, races, I'm going to, here comes another editorial warning. Races are fairly limited. It's, it's kind of a little bit of a cardiovascular test, particularly running races. We like to think of strategy and tactics I kind of hate to break you the bad news. There really isn't that much. <laughs> I mean, you you have to be fairly strategic. You have to be intelligent. You have to pace yourself. But compared with cycling, no, you're not. There isn't any strategy. It's kind of a time trial against other people where this, you start at the same time. And so it's a little bit limiting. Someone tells, like, Jason, you've been doing this, for like you say, 20 some years, someone's going to say show up at this spot at this date at this time and then do this exact thing we're going to show you how to do it we're going to draw an arrow everywhere you have to make a turn and every 10 miles we're going to give you a drink of water and all the food you could possibly ingest if you sprain the ankle we're going to pick you up and haul you out it's like okay that's fun that's fair it's a good thing to do when you get to race against other people but if you've been doing this for 20 years it's like you know I don't need someone Mm. to tell me that. I'm gonna go create my own route. I'm gonna show up at the time, date and place that's appropriate for the season because I'm good at weather. I'm good at reading maps. I'm good at geography. I don't want to go do this in June. It's too bloody hot. I want to go do it in May. And if that date May comes and it's raining, screw it. I'm going to do it two days later when it's dried out. And if it's a really cool, really technical course, I might say, I'm going to watch the snow tell snow charts. I'm going to study the snow tell snow charts, which of course are bookmarks on my computer. I do this all the time and figure out when the snow conditions are optimal where I can, you know, go up the gully, you know, on crampons and then go you know, across the meadow without it and then refill water in the streams, but not get swept to my death in a raging stream, you know? So the high end person finds a place to play with FKTs because it engages more of their knowledge and experience in people who are experienced like that.
0: That's beautiful. Yeah. I'm motivated i, I I'm ready. Man. I'm gonna go do Gannett that way. I, I think that that's one that uh, that that requires all of those things that you just mentioned. It's like you know, Wyoming super high snow rivers, crossing off trail. Yeah, that's oh, you got me. my juice is going there, buzz. I also think you know maybe too we, you could um...
1: good, that's a good example. Gannett, Gannett, mm-hmm. you have to be a good navigator. Yeah, I mean, even even like, yeah, you have to be a good navigator. Like you yes. say, there's a window.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, also like you know, for for popular ones, maybe even you know the rim to rim to rim fastest time for 2021. You know it, that 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 could be another area. You know, for those big ones that uh, you know could have a little bit more attention on the higher end, uh, but know that they can't be Jim you know, maybe there's something there for that too. But I, you know, I, I want to say, Buzz, I'm really happy that, you know, who is behind FKT.com, you know, is, you know, are, are reliable, experienced, good people that, you know, kind of uh, are, are leaders and, and able to do the right thing, I, I feel like with this part of our sport. And so I wanted to, Thank you for that, because who, who, who knows where it could have fallen. They could have had like two or three competing kind of, you know, entities and some, you know, somebody that's maybe not as mature or doing it for the right reasons or have the perspective of how to proceed with this. And, you know, it could can't damage the sport or, or the, the, the concept or, or, or the activity. So thank you for that buzz.
1: Well, thank you for acknowledging that. I appreciate that. That was our goal. Our goal is to establish a level playing field that was ruthlessly fair, where everyone would feel comfortable and fairly met. And, like you said, a marketing company could have picked it up. They could have taken it in this whole different direction. But instead, Peter Backwin, Jeff Schuler, and I picked it up. And Peter is basically a Buddhist monk. <laughs> and so, You know, he's about as neutral and as fair as he can be. And he managed that database for many years. And Peter has a PhD in physics from Harvard. So he's extremely well qualified to make sure everyone is playing on a level playing field.
0: Awesome. Awesome.
1: I have a, just
0: like
2: one funny story kind of question for you, Buzz. Legend has it another area of running where you you are a forefather a legend is the running vest and and I've heard stories that you would like go to goodwill or thrift shops and buy old vests and then fashion them with different kinds of pockets and water carriers and stuff like that is this true is this like where ultimate direction running vests came from maybe or or is it all made up and part of sort of the (laughs) mythic legend of the character
1: right running vests are of course they're ubiquitous and people getting into the sport now don't realize that they did not used to be ubiquitous we used to carry packs on our back they were called packs they had all kinds of straps and buckles to keep them from jostling and bouncing around which they did anyway and so i coined the term running vest because it was a fit At ultimate direction we came out with three sizes there's actually now four so it was fitted you had to get the proper size and no bounce is the crux, right? It's like your shoe. If you're flopping around in your shoe, it's bad. And so if you're flopping around the pack on your back, it's bad, so the vest is really the way to go, in my opinion. In terms of the origin, not quite goodwill. I actually did take an early Ultimate Direction vest. And Ultimate Direction, by the way, is the originator of hydration products. It's two years before uh, Camelback. Uh, his name was Bryce Thatcher and this was up in Rexburg Idaho he, he now moved down to uh, St. George Utah and they he started the whole thing and I took but the bottles up front wasn't the thing I was all about the bottle up front because that I can be moving I can whip a bottle out of the front dip it out of the stream and put it back in right filling a reservoir is a total pain in the ass it's just this production if you go to an aid station to race the best way to do it is have two identical vests or packs and just trade them out have your crew trade you out but i don't do things like that i'm out there filling streams reservoirs are hard to fill in the stream it just collapses the reservoir and you got to take everything out to get it out and then if you put sports drink in a reservoir try to get it out and it's grungy forever bottles you can put in a dishwasher so what i did to answer your question is i went and purchased two handheld bottles carriers and a type of a vest and i went to a sew-up shop and had them sew the bottle carriers onto the front straps and i did that for the john muir trail which peter and i got the fkt on in the year 2000 so the year 2000 i have a photo of this if you want it I could send you a photo of me wearing this clearly hand-modified bottles up front vest. Not that crazy. Sorry to disappoint you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Great. Uh, You two are terrific. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Questions are such a good thing. So thank you. Thank you both very, very much for contributing to community, a sense of community, by sharing this conversation with other people. Thank you, Buzz. Cheers, man. Thank you, Buzz.